1: Hi, everyone, and welcome to Finding Your Bliss, the show that helps you find and follow your bliss. I feel emotional about this one. I'm Judy Liebrack, and today we're going to talk about a disease that affects thousands of Canadians, and that is MS. MS is a chronic autoimmune disease of the central nervous system. And since that includes the brain, spinal cord, and optic nerve, MS can affect vision, memory, balance and mobility. In fact, Canada has the highest rate of multiple sclerosis in the world and the disease is known internationally as Canada's disease. St. Michael's Hospital in Toronto is one of North America's busiest MS centres, which is where one of my illustrious guests today, Richard Markle, has been going ever since he was diagnosed at 30 years old and that was over 34 years ago. He and his wife, Mary Lawless, are the subjects of a short film all about MS called Richard and Mary, created by actor and filmmaker Emily Lawson. What's wonderful about the film is that it is mostly a love story. And it is being featured at the Toronto Short Film Festival from March 18th until March 21st at the Paradise Cinema. And we'll have more about that at the end of the show. Let me tell you a little bit more about the filmmaker and actor Emily Lawson. Emily Lawson's films explore the landscape of the intimate female experience. As an actor, Emily can be seen in the HBO series Station Eleven, directed by Hiro Murai and Jeremy Podeswa, as well as in Lena Rodriguez's forthcoming feature, So Much Tenderness, supported by the TIFF Talent Lab, Technicolor, and Telefilm. Emily is currently in post-production for her short, Sit, Funded by the Canada Council for the Arts, but she is here today to tell us more about her inspiration for her beautiful short film, Richard and Mary. Emily Lawson, welcome to Finding Your Bliss. It's so wonderful to have you here.
2: Yeah, thanks so much for having me.
1: Emily, without even knowing you very well, I already know that you have the biggest heart wanting to feature your Uncle Richard and your Aunt Mary in this heartbreakingly beautiful film. Can you tell us more about your brainchild and what motivated you to make this short film, which is being screened at the Toronto Short Film Festival, as mentioned on March 18th? Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
3: The initial granule rule for the film is sort of two parts. One is just knowing my Aunt Mary and Uncle Richard my whole life and always being very inspired and and taken by the level of commitment that they had to each other. So that was first and foremost. And the second thing was a mistake that my mom made. So my mom is Mary's sister. And she told me that when my Aunt Mary and Uncle Richard first received his diagnosis, that they had essentially practiced for what their life was going to be which I I found to be just the most sort of authentically romantic idea I had ever encountered, that these two actors dealing with the eventuality of Uncle Richard losing his bodily autonomy had taken it as like an opportunity for rehearsal, that they would practice pulling each other around on blankets and picking each other up and putting them in tubs, which might have very... Quickly uh, clarified, it was not <laughs> accurate, <laughs> but um, that started the journey of, of wanting to interview them and hear more about what those early days looked like and felt like
1: for them you've talked about how in the research process for the film richard and mary your film you based it completely on the real life experiences of your aunt mary and uncle richard and that involved extensive interviews can you tell us more about that
2: mm-hmm. yeah i mean that that was
3: probably my favorite part because it just entailed me getting to sit down and listen to hours of stories some of which are very funny and I don't know, not necessarily what you would associate with the heartbreak of receiving a difficult piece of news like that little moments of discovery. Like my, my uncle Richard realizing that something was seriously wrong when he lost to my father at squash, (laughs) that there was no way Carrie Lawson could possibly beat him at squash. So he had to go to a doctor. So just getting to sit back and, you know, have people share years and years of experiences, some of which were, funny and some of which were heartbreaking and all of which just had this level of specificity because it it was what they lived. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: The film, which is an example of hybrid filmmaking, bridges the gap between narrative and documentary. And you've described the film, Richard and Mary, as having certain beats to hit, but it was Mm -hmm. also heavily improvised to give it its naturalistic tone. Can -hmm. you tell us more about this approach and what made you choose it?
3: Mm-hmm. So uh, trying to capture that, that level of specificity and the intimacy of the story was the primary drive to shoot it that way. Rather than having it be this very stilted, scripted piece, what I wanted to essentially do was to take all of the anecdotes that they had shared with me and my, my co-actor, uh, Ted Charette, and uh, try and capture the spirit of those and actually go through those experiences. Mm -hmm. And so a a big part of that in the centerpiece of the film was me actually attempting to do what my Aunt Mary had to do time and time again, which was to pick up her partner and move him at at moments when he was having an episode. Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, And
3: I, I don't think that we could have captured the intensity or immediacy of that experience without actually going through it. and, and, that set piece in the film, while it plays out in an edited, I think four and a half minutes, at the end of the day, took 27 minutes each time we did it. Mm-hmm. It took 27 minutes of me lifting him up and carrying up the fire escape and bringing him inside, and we we could only the both of us do it three times. It was also the reason why I chose to bring on a, a cinematographer whose experience was in documentary, so that she could just be with us and, and follow and um, stay present in those very very long takes.
1: I wept many times, and it's it's twelve minutes long, so I wept a lot in those twelve minutes. Had to cover my eyes for some of it was flinching, and I'm not sure if it's because I know the subject so well. Mary and Richard are my dearest friends of over forty years, or if anyone would have this kind of reaction. So I'm just wondering what has been the feedback from audiences about the emotional and gripping impact of this film?
3: You know, it's interesting. I think younger people tend to watch it and they think it's very quaint because uh, they're presented with this incredibly difficult situation and then two people kind of writing a check that they don't know if they can catch Where they promise to go through it together. Older people tend to look at it and they see themselves in it. And they see these crux point moments where they've made decisions about what the rest of their life is going to be. Women look at it and they, they see so much labor that is generally not recognized, so much work and so much weight that they've had to carry and, and have loved to do because they love the people they're carrying. And men and have a really hard time watching it. Both of my brothers really struggled with it because it's a really difficult eventuality to fathom. So I think pe- people come to it from very different places. Mm-hmm.
1: I want to talk to you about the fire escape scene and how the character of Mary who in real life and in the film is a very slight person and has to carry Mm. the character Richard, who's a tall, six foot two, dark and handsome man, off the balcony and into the house. And this was some of the most compelling filmmaking I've ever seen. As I mentioned earlier, sometimes hard to watch. And I would love it if you could tell us what made you choose to tell this part of the story.
3: Mm. Yes. I mean, it's it's an interesting sequence because in essence, it's moving somebody maybe 20 feet. It's not a very far distance, but I I chose to do it because it it emphasizes how something as simple as moving somebody 20 feet becomes this high stakes set piece. Like it's the ballet of a much tinier body having to maneuver a bigger person. It's exceptionally difficult. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think that's what makes it so heartbreaking and so difficult to watch is that it, it is such a small distance it is such a little thing but when you can't do it it's devastating it stops everything it, it stops your entire day it stops everything around it so i i, I also wanted to in a way experience even just a, a part of what my Aunt mary had gone through that there's there's something very unique about actually getting to walk in somebody's shoes because that's that's not something i've ever had to do And it it was very intense for everyone involved, both Ted and I and our cinematographer, Gabby, at the end of each take, we would all just sort of lay there on the ground inside of the apartment and need to recover and just Mm -hmm. take in that this is real for for other people. Mm -hmm. That we could could stop if we wanted to, but we decided to push through it because my Aunt Mary couldn't stop. Mm
1: -hmm. I was wondering, and I was going to ask you what it was like for you to play that character of Mary, given that you love your Aunt Mary. So you're the filmmaker and you're also the actor here and you're also a human being. Mm-hmm. And on an emotional level, that, what that was like for you doing that scene.
3: Very intense. It was a very intense experience. Again, it's it it, it was moving back and forth between all of those roles is, is difficult. And then also confronting the reality of what this feels like and, and just how hard it is to actually accomplish that feat of picking up someone much larger than you and moving them inside and realizing that this was done again and again and again and again over many, many years and not, you know, just three times for a film, but at some very, very delicate and intense moments. One of the stories that kept coming back to me was my Aunt Mary talking about this beautiful trip to Paris that their whole family had taken, where, um, you know, because of the heat, my Uncle Richard started having an episode, and they were sort of stranded in the middle of of this foreign city, and she was forced to try and figure out how to get them out of there and and maneuver him around. And, you know, that's a very high-stakes moment, a very dramatic moment, but not one that you can pause or, or stop or step outside of. So I think it was dealing with the waves of wanting to commit fully and then constantly having to comprehend just what this would be like to live on a daily basis.
1: Absolutely. So much of the film is heartbreaking, like the scene where they talk about long term care, or the final scene where Richard and Mary are lying side by side in their bed. And it shows such a deep level of intimacy between two people. And you feel the love in a way that's unparalleled. And because I know the real life couple, I know that you were able to capture their love in that scene. So I'd love to hear what that scene was like for you. It's just glorious, that scene in the bed at the end of the film.
3: Thank you. It's funny that scene wasn't part of our plan. It wasn't part of the beats. I think a lot of the time filmmakers shy away from kind of blunt sentimentality or, or, or just completely sincere. That, that would be a better way to put it. Just completely sincere emotion because, you know, we want to figure out wittier ways to do it or less cliche ways to do things. Mm -hmm. But we ended up having about two hours left in the day. And I turned to Ted and I I said, you know, what would you like to try? I have this like hide and go seek sequence that we could try. I have this, what do you call it? Bottle opening sequence. I I had all of these sort of like witty, playful ways of of tackling this. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, why don't we just have the conversation? Why don't we just have this very frank, all cards on the table conversation? And what followed was that take. And there's only one of them because there only needed to be one of them.
0: Wow! And
3: it was, uh, I would say on par with the fire escape in terms of how intense that was of just having to really, really confront what the reality of this would be. And both people trying to protect each other. Mm-hmm.
1: I want to play a clip off the top of the film, Richard and Mary, where Mary is feeling Richard's fingers and asking him about the numbness in each finger, if there's any feeling or not. Can you set this clip up for us?
3: So yes, yeah, so the sequence that opens the film is basically it's a, we're uh, introduced to a couple who are playfully touching each other and talking about the level of sensation that um, the male character has in his hand. And I wanted it to be a way to very gently bring the audience into this world and not have it be you know a doctor's office with a diagnosis, but rather the the quiet intimate shared discovery of of what this new reality is.
1: It's lovely the way there's a close up on the hands and you don't quite know what's happening at first. And then you realize, and it's, it's very compelling. Let's roll that clip from the film, Richard and Mary by filmmaker, Emily Lawson.
2: How's that one feel?
0: That one feels like a million bucks. That That one's a million million bucks right there. This one? That one, that's like negative, $10. Ten dollars. So right now we're at 990000 the 9, I don't can't do math apparently or say numbers.
3: I'm right at. Jen, you sh- actually
0: can't feel that at all. Nothing. Nothing. Here. Uh, I mean, if I'm honest with you, nothing. Nothing. This good. That one. Oh, that's super sensitive, actually. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Ow. Ooh. No, I'm just kidding. Can't feel that. And
3: anymore. on the on the backs, like there's less nerve endings.
0: There's, so there's even less nerve endings. There's there.
3: even less nerve endings. Wow, there. I,
0: I could, I, I, got that feeling as well, or lack thereof.
3: The MS clinic said that uh, if, if you start feeling it moving down your hand, it's like
2: a sign of a flare up. All right.
1: Wow, <laughs> that scene was so poignant and so authentic, and yet there's even the humor, which is Richard. And we're going to get to that later on in the interview but what made you choose this scene to open your short film?
3: I think I think it's that again that sentiment of, of like a gentle entree into this world and having it be about the quiet and private experience of dealing with illness rather than the very official or medicalized point of entry which usually when you see films about, things of this nature where there's a diagnosis, that's where it starts. <laughs> and I, I never wanted it to be about MS. I wanted it to be about two people who love each other dealing with MS. So it, it just felt like the right, the right place to kind of bring the audience into that world.
1: May I say it was? <laughs> Not that I'm <laughs> the expert of the authority, but it was. I love in terms of genre that you saw this film as a love story. You've just mentioned that rather than as an illness narrative. And you have said that in large part, it's because the film is about the intimate experience of loving someone who has health issues rather than purely the mechanics of dealing with illness. Can you say more about this choice? And I know you just talked about it, but to really focus on the love story between Mary and Richard.
3: Yeah, I think it's very difficult to actually make a real love story. I think most of the films that we view as, you know, love stories, they're about infatuation or about eroticism or about, you know, these very sort of early days, honeymoon period experiences of, of what it is to be attracted to someone. But real love is something that's tested over time, so it's it's hard to present in a feature film and especially in a a short film. So I I think one of the things that I found most poignant about it as a subject was included in in this idea of not just commitment, but commitment knowing that things are going to get difficult is this uh, notion of love as something that is enduring and something that is proven and chosen again and again and again. So I, I see it as a love story in the purest sense. And that's also why I named it sort of referencing classic love stories like Troilus and Cressida or Romeo and Juliet kind of pulling
1: on these deep origins of love stories. I think you nailed it, Emily. I got to thank you. We're going to see Emily later on the show, but we're going to go on a short commercial break. And when we come back, we're going to meet the real life subjects of the film, Richard Markle and Mary Lawless. We'll be right back,
4: back in a moment. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together.
1: We are back and this is Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio AM 740 FM 96.7. We're now joined by Richard Markle and Mary Lawless. And I have to share that Mary and I have been dear and best friends since we met in first year university studying theater at York University. And very shortly thereafter, I think I met Richard on the same day that Mary met him for the first time and knew him as her boyfriend. And of course, later on as her groom and her husband. And not only was I at her wedding as an attendee, but I was their maid of honor. I also remember the day that Richard was initially diagnosed with MS. It was at my 30th birthday party. Let me tell you a little bit more about Richard Markle. Richard was diagnosed with MS in 1990, the relapsing and remitting form of MS. He first noticed something, as Emily mentioned, something that was wrong when he was playing squash with different friends. His coordination and energy were off. He was really affected by the heat and he was unable to jog, exercise or take a hot shower without experiencing double vision. For a few days, Richard had double vision full time and began wearing a patch. He was still waiting to see a doctor. He finally had an appointment with a neurologist at their local hospital and an MRI, and then he was diagnosed with MS. He was referred to the MS clinic at St. Michael's Hospital in Toronto. Over his 30 plus years of MS, Richard has described periods of exacerbation and wellness. Early in the disease, he says this, and I quote, I experienced MS symptoms for periods of time, and then they went away for the most part, and I would generally feel well again. In the past number of years, the disease has changed to secondary progressive, which means there's really no improvement after a flare-up. It's a gradual decline. I went from using a cane to a walker to now full-time in a motorized wheelchair. We are very fortunate to have a fully accessible home, a bungalow that we worked with the builders to increase wheelchair accessibility. I have all the equipment, medical bed, Hoyer lift, roll-in shower, reclining wheelchair and PSW support three times a day. Mary supports these visits and of course my needs that I have between the visits throughout the day and the night. I've lived with MS for over 30 years. I've been married to Mary since 1983 and have benefited from Mary's love and support. We've had two adult children, Kate and Arianna. Richard studied at the University of Kent, in the UK and the University of Bordeaux in France. He holds a BA in theater from York University and a master's in drama studies from the University of Toronto. His bachelor of education is from the University of Toronto. As an educator, he has worked as a drama teacher and department head as well, as six years as integrated arts consultant for the York Region District School Board. He says that even with MS, he's been able to live his bliss traveling for both work and pleasure to France, England, Africa, Norway, Ireland, Mexico, and other glorious destinations. Richard's wife is Mary Lawless. Mary is a passionate educator with extensive experience in curriculum design, instructional strategies, and teacher professional development. She earned her BFA in theater performance from York University and an MA and B.Ed from the University of Toronto. Throughout her career and the York Region District School Board, she has served in a variety of professional roles, including secondary English and drama teacher, curriculum consultant, curriculum coordinator for secondary school programming, district administrator for student success and secondary principal. Mary has led teacher professional development at the board university and provincial level, and has served on numerous writing and presentation teams with the Ontario Ministry of Education. Mary is married to Richard, the love of her life, and is his full-time caregiving support. And as mentioned, Mary is also the mother to their adult children, Kate and Ariana. Richard Markle and Mary Lawless, welcome to Finding Your Bliss. Thank Here. you, <laughs> Richard, you are one of the bravest strongest people that I know, who has never complained. And in fact, sometimes you do the opposite, you keep it all inside. And I remember my late father always saying that you had such great dignity and class, and he was always so impressed by you. Can you tell us some of the MS symptoms that you experience every day that you have to go through? I didn't want to list them. I thought it'd be better to come (laughs) from you, who's actually experiencing this. Okay.
0: I can start with this morning, you know, making sure that I have a, a fully operational hospital bed as my bed, uh, a Hoyer lift next to my bed if needed, because I don't need it all the time, but from time to time I do need it. That is to say, if I have a fall, if I if I slide off my bed or I'm not able to, to shimmy my way over to my wheelchair uh, from my bed using my sliding board, if I'm not able to do those kinds of things, I have wonderful support of things like a a Hoyer lift, but more importantly, Mary is there as well, if need be. Uh, It's not something that I want to impose upon her all the time, but if the circumstances demand it, you know, Mary is there certainly. Um, Last week, for example, um, I was unable to make it to my wheelchair, slid on the floor. She courteously dialed 911 they came, two people came in and and gave me a lift up back to my wheelchair. That's happened several times. It's not something that I'm particularly proud of, but I'm certainly uh, relieved that someone of Mary's ilk is there, but I'm really feeling very, very uncomfortable with her having to be put in that situation um, so many times.
1: This is another example, though, of just really what a brave warrior you are. You've handled each stage of your illness with grace and with grit, sometimes your incredible sense of humor, which was reflected in the film, and you've had more to deal with than most people ever have to deal with in their lifetimes. What has given you, Richard, the strength and fortitude to have such dignity and resilience in spite of this tremendously difficult illness that you've been living with now for 34 years?
0: I think. More often than not, I have to rely on, on my, my own gumption or strength, inner strength, core strength. My spirituality, I would say, is very important. But most important of all, of course, is my, is my support. Mary has been there 150,000%. <laughs> she has been uh, a real, jo- real gem. And it's, I know how difficult it is, particularly, uh, <laughs> we went uh, downtown toronto a few weeks ago and walking down into the parking garage she took a slide and broke her arm so she's had now trouble with her right hand and now a broken arm uh, on the other arm so it may, makes her it makes it very difficult may i say frustrating for her uh, given the fact that uh, now she's really unable to do many of the things that she's accustomed to but uh, I've really had to rely on Mary's support.
1: Richard, can you just tell us more about the symptoms that you experience every day?
0: Well, every day at the moment, I have extreme exhaustion, but uh, it does vary from day to day, uh, occasionally, depending on the weather. If I have a hot shower, for example, I may feel more sluggish, may feel uh, more, more difficult to move my limbs, but it's, it's all quite variable. I don't have the slurred speech that I once had, I, or at least if I do, it's not as profound. I think it's much better, of, quite candidly, picking up a knife and fork, for example, or drinking a hot cup of coffee from a coffee pot, or a teacup. I have to think about how the handle of that teacup would affect my, my handling of that, of that teacup, or pouring something into milk over a cereal bowl. Simple things that, that I once took for granted I would really have to focus on, or opening up the pages of a book, which was very difficult for an English teacher, or eye tracking, which was another one of my symptoms. Moving from left to right, or right to left on a page, I would have to uh, spend an inordinate amount of energy, keep my eyes focused, Hmm. and and driving a car. I was still driving at that time as well. I would have to keep focused and... uh, If in the event I got diplopia or double vision, I'd have to pull off the road and uh, give the wheel to somebody else. Usually these kinds of things would be exacerbated or made worse by heat. Mm -hmm. That was Mm -hmm. something I had to learn.
1: What would you say has been the most challenging symptom for you to have to learn to live with, overcome on the daily?
0: The most challenging really would be the the cognitive issues, which would be my memory, Mm -hmm. my slurred speech, being a drama teacher, I would be very self-conscious, teaching things like elocution and, and speech to my, my class. Yeah. And that, that was from time to time quite awkward. And I basically had to spend, spend a lot of time thinking about the structure of my class mm-hmm. but, uh, and presenting to teachers in a workshop.
1: Mm-hmm. What would you say these days is your most challenging symptom?
0: My most challenging symptom is the heat. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have to avoid the heat or infections. If I have an infection, if I have a fever, I'll often know it before I get out of out of bed because my gait is is affected. Mm-hmm. Uh, last week, for example, uh, I had some difficulty. I really even before I got out of bed, getting my legs off the edge of the bed, mm-hmm. and I was able to do that and pulled myself up and slid off the, off of my bed. At which point I called nine. I asked my for my wife Mary to call nine one one, and they would come. And they they know me now, and they am mm-hmm. able to say, "Could I? Could you come for a pickup, please?" Yeah, which sounds sounds kind of bracing, but uh, <laughs> but they're able to come and put me back in my wheelchair.
1: So that's a lot to have to deal with every single day. I have to say, there and is. so I'm wondering, Richard what it was like for you to see this film about your life, as it were.
0: Well, I I find it painfully realistic. It's a a beautiful piece, and I think it's really important to get the message out that that really support workers, uh, people in positions of supporting others with disabilities, really need support themselves. They need to, as, as the cliche I use time and time again, is putting the sponge back in the water. Allowing people who support others to be supported themselves. Because I don't think over the years that we've allowed that to happen. We have not allowed
1: caregivers to be, to be the recipients of care. And I think that's a very important notion. I totally agree with you. The caregivers are the unsung heroes. And interestingly, Erica M was on the show a while back talking about her Undercover Kindness Project, which was in conjunction with the Ontario Caregivers Association. And I'm just going to tell the story about Mary. I immediately thought, they said, think of someone that could benefit. And I immediately thought of Mary. And unlike most people who would ask for a spa day or a hairdo, or a mini vacation, which Mary said, that would be like being Cinderella at the ball. I just would love a compassionate handyman. And we did find her one, and I think they worked out really, really well. So shout out to them. Uh, Mary can say more about that, but yeah, it's a very big problem. And we're gonna talk about this, but they are the unsung heroes who need way more support in every which way possible. But I just want to turn to Mary for a minute. Thank you, Richard. And ask you, Mary, if you can tell us about meeting Richard, in Shakespeare class at York University and just about your love story, about how you met, how you fell in love. And let's start there.
2: Okay, so we were in a third year playing Shakespeare kind of class. So the text would be brought to life through small scene studies. And on the very first day of the class, we went around and introduced ourselves. And of course, I noticed Richard. And when he said he was part of the theater department at York, I hadn't seen him before and I thought, how can he be in fourth year? And I don't know him, but he had been studying in England. So he had come back and we were in the same class and I'm a relatively shy person, but I became quite brazen and I looked at him like, <laughs> like you're in theater. And then when it got to me, I didn't introduce myself to the class. I introduced myself to Richard and said, Mary Lawless Theater. And, and then I thought, isn't that odd? Because I, that was for me, quite a brazen thing to do. And of course, we had an opportunity to talk about theatre and I was looking for someone to direct a friend's play that I would be in. I think you would have been in that one too, Judy. Um, And so I said, what would you think about, you know, talking about you directing this play? And we went to the grad pub and we talked for hours, very little about the play, but uh, we it started there. And, you know, it's funny, Emily, you spoke about... Uh, your mother saying that we were practicing for MS. It seems like from the very beginning, we were practicing to be able to deal with adversity. And for whatever reason, and I'm emotional with this topic, of course. So uh, pardon me if I get a little emotional here, but it was important to me to show Richard how strong I was. I don't know why. It was almost like that was a code that I, I needed to impress Richard. I was strong. So there were a number of occasions where I would say, hop on my back. And I, you know, I brag that I'm almost five foot four. Richard is almost six foot four. There's, there's quite a difference in our size. And I could carry him piggyback on my back. And so on big occasions in our life, when Richard got, you know, a particular first job, I said, hop on. And I carried him on my back. I don't know why. All of these, it, it was like we were practicing, but we didn't know what for. And so that that need for me to demonstrate a resilience, a strength, I was his match. And I felt that in that first moment, like the puzzle pieces across a crowded room, these have parts that connect. And so, you know, it is it's, it's um, it is a love story. It has some tough times, but no martyrs here and no saint here. I'm feisty. Mm-hmm. But I I've learned a lot on this process of loving Richard and also learned a lot about how important it is to love myself. And there's points where loving Richard, without questioning some of the requests, <laughs> is not loving myself. And so that's the tension. And I, I, I find that a very interesting, um, I'm strong, but I'm, I'm human. And human <laughs> frailty, I can break bones, I can tear ligaments in the physical caregiving. Yeah. I can be, you know, feel abandoned by my my love partner because for whatever reason, before I realize it, he's unable to support me in the way that needs to be. It may have been in the early days housekeeping, <laughs> you know, <laughs> vacuum for goodness sakes. Why can't you vacuum? Why can't you keep up with the work? Not understanding that MS was in place. So we named MS, I named MS Match Sleebly and MS... When it was in town, there was usually tension, and I thought, "Okay, there's three of us in this bed right now." Matt Sleybly is in the house, and by naming it, it gave us a little bit of distance from it, mm-hmm. and I could appreciate Richard, but I also could separate the disease from Richard because it comes on surprisingly quickly, and in the early days, it can depart as well, and you can forget, you know, uh, I guess a little bit about you get into a false sense of everything's all right now, and then there's a reminder that you also need to not get lost in it's only dark, because it does get light.
1: Mary, you've said that becoming a caregiver, you can't anticipate the role it changes over time as a result Mm -hmm. of changes in your loved one's health, and that there's no real training for the role. Some of the care that you're providing is medical, Can you tell us some of the things that you've had to do that you never thought you'd have to and how it's evolved over the years? Before you answer that, we're going to go on a short commercial break and we'll find out some of the care that Mary had to provide for Richard when we come back, back
4: in a moment. Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by CREATE, Canada's leading fertility center for over 25 years. CREATE is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. CREATE is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, CREATE is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff, CREATE has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? CREATE Fertility Center is here for you. Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about CREATE Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together.
1: Hi everyone, we are back and this is Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio AM 740. And we're talking all about MS today with filmmaker Emily Lawson and the real life subjects of her beautiful film, Richard and Mary, Richard Markle and Mary Lawless. And Mary, just before the break, I was asking you to tell us some of the things that you had to do as a caregiver that you never thought you'd have to do. And how has it all evolved over the years? That's a great question. And I think this is true.
2: For so many caregivers, you start out and you are an emotional support for your blood. Sometimes you're doing some physical things, like you may be helping transfer. And then as someone's condition becomes more medically managed, you are providing wound care. You're clearing an IV line. You are giving needles. You are giving enemas, suppositories, catheterizing. You are helping with transfers using lift you're driving wheelchair accessible van and aren't you lucky to have one, right? I mean, there's so much privilege in, as I describe our experience, because we have the house, we have all the equipment, but I'm the staff. (laughs) And, you know, it's not a hospital, but it's allowed Richard and I to continue our great love in our home, because we have all the things that we need and we have PSW support as well. But I guess one of the biggest things is advocating on behalf of your loved one. Mm -hmm. When the disease is present, when MS is in the house, Mm -hmm. someone seeing Richard is only able perhaps to see the disease. They aren't able to see the happy guy who drove himself into the hospital, had a test that triggered something and an MS response happens. And people will see Richard or someone else and see the exacerbation but not realize This person is a teacher. This person is uh, a father of two children. And in those moments, I have to know his history. I have to represent him and advocate and always see Richard and not overstep so that I
1: become Richard's voice, which Mm -hmm. is problematic too. You, you mentioned you need to know his medical history, coordinate and document all medical appointments, ask questions, advocate, but also host most family and friend gatherings because your house is the only one that's accessible for Richard. And this is something I just want to put out there that we just need to be more accessible in this province and in this country to make it way more possible. Like, I, I just wish that every home had wheelchair accessible entrances and that homes were built that way. All of that. As I mentioned to Emily, there were times when it was hard to watch the film. I had to cover my eyes. I wept throughout it. I mentioned the fire escape scene. And I'm just wondering if there's a part of the film that was particularly hard for you to watch or to see reflected back for you. And if you can just paint us a picture of what it was like to sit there and watch the film about you and Richard.
2: So the fire escape scene is really the one that it moves me tremendously tremendously. Because in that scene, Mary, the character, asks permission to call 911 right at the very beginning. And that is denied. And so that the Richard character says no. And there is a desire to be private, to say things are normal, to not confront how horrific this situation is. Mm -hmm. And so for years, and I know I'm not the only one, I didn't call 911. I would carry Richard. I would get a sheet, roll Richard on the ground, onto the sheet, and then drag the sheet to a place where Richard could find his way back up. We worked really hard. And I know many people who don't call for help because we want to be normal. We want to be private. We want to protect the dignity, we think, of our loved one. Mm -hmm. And our loved one is advocating for that. That scene, I just want to scream, call 911. (laughs) <laughs> right. call 911 because things are not normal. That's an emergency. Mm-hmm. And somehow we normalize it. We we become desensitized. And as soon as we do that, we actually are hurting ourselves as caregivers because I physically couldn't do that. But somehow, I. but I'm strong. I'm resilient. Now I'm really smart. <laughs> you can work hard. You can work smart. And working smart is good for everybody. So watching Emily and the two actors Struggle. No, they did 27 minutes of that. I have done, as you said, Emily, many, many more minutes of doing that. And Richard's struggling, pushing when a Hoyer lift or two incredibly kind and compassionate and skilled paramedics come to our home and do a lift up, check the vitals, and off they go. It's not a trip to the hospital, it's a lift up. And it's so important to call for help. People want to help generally, they want
1: to help. In a happier but also intense scene. And I want to uh, turn to Richard here for a minute. I was very moved by the intimacy of the scene where the two characters, Richard and Mary, are lying side by side. And I was wondering, both of you, but I'd love to start with Richard, if you could weigh in on what it felt like watching that scene at the end of the film.
0: Well, certainly I identified very strongly. During COVID, I was hospitalized and uh lost the ability for a short period of time to raise my head. So, uh, I was concerned about swallowing and even breathing. I mean, this is at uh, South Lake Hospital here in Newmarket. But so I realized the disease has different variants. Mm -hmm. I I identified very strongly with the character at that stage. Certainly when he's talking about the differences in in his his receptivity or sensitivity in his limbs, because that's something I I experienced on a a very frequent basis, Mm -hmm. very powerful. Mm
1: You know, you began your marriage in such a romantic way, spending the first year of your marriage traveling to Paris to study theatre in France together. And again, the the love story part of the film, which really is the film, is just so beautiful and powerful. What was it like for you, Mary, to see that scene at the end of the film, the intimacy of that scene?
2: Well, it's very powerful. Those pillow talk moments where you, you know, you process... Your experience at the end of the day, and that's processing. Can I do this? <laughs> you know, and can I do it? Everyone says you're a saint. You're you know, not a martyr. No one says that, but every, oh, Mary, you're a saint. And uh, no, no. But can I do this? Do I have the strength to see this through? And, mm-hmm. and to do all that is required mm-hmm. to help someone that you love so much. So I, I, it was a powerful moment. It's um, a definitely a moment of connection because that's something that you ask yourself every day and sometimes more than once during the day, can I do this? And, um, you know, Emily has talked about love as choices that we make day by day by day to be strong, to keep the commitment to be true and as you know we get older and as our life changes different things will happen we'll have some you know changes in and how we're living together but that love stays whether we're you know in the same room in the same space and what will it look like then that's to discover but the love doesn't change the commitment change changes but commitment doesn't change but how, what it looks like might change so lots of pillow talk ahead you know Because it it, it happens again and again and again that we we recommit ourselves.
1: I want to talk about a happy memory that wasn't in the film. But there was a moment at your daughter Katie's wedding where you had the daughter and the father dance, the bridal dance. And I remember Katie twirling around the room with Richard, twirling his wheelchair around in a dance that would rival any exquisite waltz on So You Think You Can Dance by far. What are your memories, Richard, of that night at your daughter's wedding? And Mary too, of course.
0: Well, of course, every father dreams of dancing with his daughter at her wedding. But it was uh, very magical. And at that moment, I, I too was very thankful to have a, a motorized wheelchair because I, it wasn't too long ago that I didn't, I didn't have a motorized wheelchair. And I did, depended on others to push me around. In fact, I, we went to Ireland on a trip where my brother-in-law Pushed me down very, very uh, rickety streets, uh, <laughs> cobblestone streets, very difficult to navigate a, a wheelchair. But it was um, it was very special to, uh, of course, like any father at a daughter's wedding, to to celebrate her wedding. That was very important for us to listen to music and to spin and and, and and be out on the floor with everyone's. All of our friends and family surrounding us in applause, and it was it was a very, very magical moment. And I think my daughter Kate would enjoy saying that too. It really was,
1: Mary. What are
2: your memories of that night? So of that moment in particular, that was so important to Kate that she would dance with her father, and they, they talked about what piece would they dance to. I don't even remember. I think it was a compilation of a couple of pieces, but uh, Richard has a profound love of music and. Kate is a musician and uh, training to be a music teacher. So they have always shared music and uh, movement definitely a part of it. So to see it in that beautiful waltz, I I think it was a breakthrough because I think for you, Richard, that was the first time that you actually have danced and you always danced, but she challenged you to actually dance in your wheelchair and uh, practiced a bit with you, had a little bit of it choreographed, which was special. And and then it became very improvisational, but uh, yeah, it was. I, I was so happy to see that, and uh, and happy for you because it was important to you, Richard. And you know, thrilled for Kate because that was a requirement.
1: Was the song "In Your Eyes" by Peter Gabriel? Yes. <laughs> lovely. <laughs> You've both talked about the incredible research that is being done at the Barlow MS Centre at St. Michael's Hospital. Can you tell us about working with Dr. G1O and just some of the wonderful hope that exists and some of the excellent work that is being done in terms of the research that they're doing there?
2: So maybe I'll, I'll start that, you know, there's so many uh, research programs that are happening and so much for the RNR type of MS, eh, Richard, and um, it's very exciting. Those treatments and those research projects didn't seem to be a part of the early part of your MS disease. There weren't opportunities, but when you go into that building now, there's so many young people who have a diagnosis of MS who are getting opportunities to experience treatments that will improve outcomes. So it's just a, a beehive of excitement yoga classes. So the medical approaches, as well as very supportive therapeutic treatments as well. So uh, it's really exciting to see and very hopeful.
1: And I, I wanted to say fund MS research. And I, I just hope that because this affects so many Canadians that um, we can all continue funding MS research just to create more awareness and and cures and help and support. Last year, Canada's largest MS clinic opened a $42 million center at St. Michael's Hospital to advance multiple sclerosis care, education, and research. It's called the Barlow MS Center. The Barlow MS Center is ushering in a new era of patient care. The center, which occupies the top two floors of the hospital's 17-story Peter Gilgan patient care tower, is a 30,000 square foot state-of-the-art facility designed to offer coordinated care for patients living with MS, which of course is an autoimmune disease of the central nervous system. People living with MS can now see a dedicated healthcare team in one location, sort of of like one-stop shopping, including neurologists, nurses, social workers, neuropsychologists, physiotherapists, occupational therapists and speech therapists, neuropsychiatrists and psychiatrists. During their visit, the patients will be surrounded by art, soaring views and spectacular architecture meant to enhance access to care and the patient experience, making sure their treatment is customized to their needs. For more information or to make a donation to MS, please call the St Michaels Foundation at 416 5000 That's 416. 416- 864-5000. Or you can email them at hello at foundation.com This is for everyone, but I'd love to start with you, Emily. What are your hopes for this film and what it can accomplish in raising awareness for MS?
3: I, I suppose my hope is that people will watch it and they'll fall in love with the characters and See it as something on the spectrum of their own experiences because they relate to them rather than uh, something completely separate. I hope it gives a little bit of insight into just how devastating and, and sudden an episode can be. I hope that people understand it a little bit better in a, a human context.
2: Absolutely.
1: At the end of every show, and I know Richard and Mary, you're both avid listeners, I always ask this question. So let me start with you, Richard. What is bliss for Richard Markle?
0: Well, bliss is, uh, is enjoying the company of people who I love and uh, who obviously enjoy some of the same things that I enjoy, listening to music with other people and community and being involved. And as a teacher, I was involved in building community for years and years. I think that's, that's essential for bliss is others.
1: You are so bang on. And Mary, what is bliss for Mary lawless? so
2: I love spending time with my family, my greater family, my friends, so it's very much that community. I love gardening, I love <laughs> attracting birds into my garden and <laughs> and I love walking our dog, Ellie. I really enjoy that the solitude of of a walk in nature, it fills my cup, lovely.
1: And Emily, again, congratulations on your beautiful film, Richard and Mary. We began with you, so I'd love to end with you today. What is bliss for Emily Lawson?
3: Bliss for me is uh, is making things. I'm probably the happiest when I'm getting to be creative, uh, and when I get to share the things I make with people I love, and also when baking.
1: <laughs> I love baking, so those are my that's my happy place.
2: That's lovely.
1: Emily, what is the best way for people to contact you and connect with you on social media and to see your beautiful film, Richard and Mary?
3: Probably through Instagram. That's the easiest way to get a hold of me on social media. And it's me Lawson with an underscore at the end. And uh, they can see it at the Toronto Short Film Festival. Our premiere spot is on the 20th at uh, 7.45. So it'll be part of one of the short film programs there. And yeah, hopefully we'll have a further festival run this
1: year. We'll see. Fingers crossed. I I think based on what I've seen, it it definitely will. And I, how prophetic that in your first professional role as a film actor, your scenes were shot at the Paradise Theatre when it was empty and gutted. And so it feels very fitting to share your first short film at the Paradise now that it's been restored to its splendor as a beloved hub of the Toronto film community. So pretty magical. (laughs) Very magical serendipity there. I want to thank all of you, Emily Lawson, dear Richard Markle, and dear Mary Lawless, for being on the show today. It's really been an honor to have you all here.
0: Thank you, Judy. Thank you, Judy.
1: you so much. Each week, we spotlight a fabulous person like Emily Lawson, Mary Lawless, and Richard Markle who is living their bliss and sometimes living their bliss in spite of great adversity. So if you're an author, artist, yoga, meditation, or mindfulness expert, or really anyone who has found and is following their bliss, we would love to hear from you. We also love to feature singer-songwriters on this show, so if you're a singer, please reach out to us. Also, what did you love about today's program? Are there any guests or topics you would love us to feature on Finding Your Bliss? Write to us at FYB at FindingYourBliss.com. I'm also a life coach, so if I can help you in any way, let me know. You can reach out and contact me at FindingYourBliss.com slash coaching. I'm also on Insight Timer, the number one free meditation app. And all you have to do is search up Judy Liebrach. And of course, you can always follow us at the Bliss Minute on Instagram and Facebook. I'd like to thank all of our wonderful guests for being on the show today. Emily Lawson, Richard Markle and Mary Lawless. And make sure to look out for Emily Lawson's film, Richard and Mary, playing at the Toronto Short Film Festival from March 18th to March 21st. Also, thank you to Mag Ruffman, Siobhan Kylie, producer Naira Amani, associate producer Olivia Weatherall, audio engineer Juliana Yanis Yellow, Senior Editor, Lauren Kaminsky, Video Editor, Sierra Brown Rodriguez, Audio Producer, Vaz Causey, and everyone here at Zoomer. And of course, a big thank you to our sponsor, the Create Fertility Center. For everyone here, I'm Judy Liebrach, reminding you all to take one step closer to finding your bliss.